welcome to Talking Walking, hosted by Andrew Stuck from Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. Talking Walking brings you interviews with people from the world of walking, artists, activists, professionals, and those of us who have a passion for just taking a walk. Elena Bisserna is a researcher and curator who lives in Marseille. In 2022, she completed and published two compendia, one called Going Out, Walking, Listening, Soundmaking, and the other, Walking with Scores. I catch up with her over the internet on a Zoom call. It's quite impossible to cover all the topics that she has written about, collated and published, as her two books run to more than a thousand pages. So I start by encouraging her to explain from where and why walking art, and sound walking in particular, might have originated. The majority of published walking art stems from the Anglo-Saxon world. And it's refreshing to talk to someone who clearly has identified and researched works from other areas and in other languages to bring a fresh perspective. Her research has led her to develop her own walking art practice, reinterpreting walking scores written by others with the project Walking From Scores. This has later led her to write some of her own scores with a feminist perspective in order to clearly address the specificities of gendered bodies walking in public space. You, you've published two books, both of which are, are huge. I mean, they're 600-page anthologies, but more importantly, you have a 120-page introductory essay to each of them. So, you know, what brought this on? Many, many years of uh, research, I think, because uh, the two books are, well, they were both uh, out in 2022, but I started, of course, to reflect on these uh, issues and themes and constellation of people around 10 years ago. So I work on walking practices and methodologies, dealing also with the public space uh, in relationship with listening practices and uh, the sound arts. I work on feminist practices and theories and on uh, geopolitical boundaries and uh, how listening can uh, help us to produce another knowledge of these on these uh, disputed uh, territories. So when I started to think about uh, walking, it was uh, because I saw walking as a way for artists and for practitioners to get out from uh, official venues, from uh, their studios, yeah, institutional places where art is produced and exhibited uh, in order to address issues to start initiate gestures to meet publics that are outside of the field of art. So that's why the title of one of the two books is uh, Going Out, Walking, Listening, Sound Making, because actually my first interest in walking came out in relationship to this reflection. Walking has always served to artists in order to get out, to engage with the public sphere, engage with the other publics, different publics, to engage also with practices and gestures that were not considered as uh, artistic. I thought I was fairly knowledgeable of the territory that you're talking about. I thought I knew pretty much the sort of kind of history of 
walking and the walking art and the development of sound walking. And yet I came to read your books and, and I thought, oh, my God, there's so much more that I haven't encountered. I mean, most of what you're talking about really began in the early 60s. That's, that's the case, is it not? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that there are cultural practices related to walking and sound making or walking and listening that precede the, the avant-garde of the 60s. Yes, I think uh, in the field of art and in the field of sound art and music, in the 60s, there were a lot of artists uh, deciding to get out of their studio, to get out of their uh, museums and institutions. And I think it was connected to a whole uh, art environment that was changing and where the issue of public space uh, started to become uh, central in reflections uh, and action for some artists and performers and composers and also a period where interdisciplinary practices were becoming a standard. So artists didn't uh, confine themselves to one medium, but started to use uh, many different mediums and many different methodologies, many different practices in order to uh, make things, make actions, make uh, experiences for other people. It was also connected to a moment where, yeah, the limits, the boundary between artists and public between uh, those who make and those who experience uh, were constantly blurred. For example, in Fluxus or many of the avant-garde of the, of the time, I mean, this was really central, how to deconstruct this binarism between uh, public and artists, how to merge art into the everyday sphere. And it was also a period where in many different disciplines, Everyday gestures, especially if you think about dance, you know, like choreographer, like Anna Alprin, Simon Forti, Merce Cunningham, even uh, before, uh, they started to introduce everyday gestures into their work. And this happened also in the visual art, and it is less known, but all these also happened in music uh, and uh, at the beginning of the, st- the sound arts, which was not even uh, defined yet as a field uh, in itself. But I think that a lot of books and exhibitions have have been published or made about walking in visual art, Mm -hmm. and much less has been uh, published or exhibited or performed about walking in music at that specific time in the 60s. Uh, Let's think about the Scratch Orchestra. Let's think about, uh, yeah, many of the Fluxus performances, artists such as Adrian Piper or Dennis Oppenheim. I mean, there there was a whole constellation of people coming from very different backgrounds who were doing uh, uh, walking action, involving listening or sound making in public space. Historiography and uh, curatorial practices have less focused on this this practice, maybe because music, uh, the music uh, environment or the music system has been more conservative than the visual art. And that's also why many artists found themselves to work in visual art while coming from music. And so I wanted to make justice of this uh, constellation of people. And uh, it is an attempt. I'm sure that there are many things that are missing in this book. But uh, still, it is uh, a beginning. When did you start to feel the, the time when people were actually starting to to make work which had included the dimension of the public space, actually got to start thinking about uh, how public space would impinge on their art. Was that 
in the early 60s or, or was that more with the, the coming of the sort of Sony Walkman in the early 70s and that kind of thing? I could think about uh, three works, three performances that were made uh, in the mid-60s uh, or toward the end of the 60s. One by Adrian Piper, another one by Max Neuhaus, another one by Philip Corner that are quite explicit in this uh, uh, symbolic, even symbolic uh, exit. So, for example, Max Neuhaus started to make uh, in uh, 1966 its uh, infamous series of uh, walking tour that he called the Listen, uh, where he was giving uh, a meeting to the public that was uh, supposed uh, to listen to a concert outside from uh, a theater or a conference center. And then he printed the word listen on the participant's hand. And uh, instead of giving a talk or giving a performance, he led the public to wander around the public space, sometimes uh, also in abandoned or industrial uh, areas in the US. And this series lasted for 10 years. And it was considered by Max Neuhaus as uh, his first work as an independent artist. So I think it was really important, his action of walking and going out was really important for him in order to abandon what he was doing, which was, uh, he was a great interpreter or contemporary um, or, or new music uh, work for percussion. And it was like pivotal in order to lead him to work in public space. And in the same years, Philip Karner was doing uh, an action which was uh, absolutely similar and which was also quite clear, starting from the title, because the title was I Can Walk Through the World as Music. And so he also led, uh, during uh, one evening of performances, uh, the public to go outside to make a walk around the block. And reading extracts as well from Luigi Russolo, L'Arte dei Rumori, The Art of Noise, so the manifesto where Russolo was the futurist artist uh, was proposing to listen to noises uh, as if there were music. But for Philip Corner, it was a matter of going beyond what Russolo had made. And so to really bring the public outside to listen to the noises of the city where they are, rather than reproducing them uh, in an orchestral setting and uh, inside a theater as it was for Russolo. And then Adrian Piper also, the first performance she did, coming from a more conceptual phase, the first performance she did in public space, and it was the first of a long series. It was in 1968, if I'm not wrong, and uh, she decided to walk around a block in uh, Manhattan, recording the soundscape of uh, walk, and then uh, reproducing uh, during the performance the sound, the double speed to compress time and space. So I think at that time, at that precise, precise time, these are just three examples. Uh, but there was really a sort of connection between people coming from different areas. And also, I'm, I guess, all these people actually knew each, them, each other. And yeah, a real will to engage with other publics, to explore the social dimension of public space, to get out from the concert halls, to get out from the galleries. Uh, yeah. 
that's 60 years ago now. Have we eclipsed, or do you feel now, being a practitioner yourself, do you think it's still an exciting and evolving field uh, with sound walks and with walking art? Or do you think it's, you know, we're just going around the wheel repeating uh, works that have been done before? Where, where, where do you feel we're, we're at at the moment? I think it is pretty exciting, and it's actually quite and really rich. I'm not afraid of repeating because one of my projects is Walking from Score. So uh, it is actually a collection of scores uh, centered on walking uh, from uh, artists of different background, choreographers, uh, performers, composers, musicians, uh, visual artists, uh, or writers as well, or militants in some cases. Uh, that I've collected since uh, 2014, and I have activated this collection in many different places, many different cities with many different groups. So actually, in, in the case of this project, for example, the reproduction, redistribution, and the reenactment of the collection was really the core of the project. So repeating uh, for me is very good, also because you can never repeat the same thing in a... Of course. Uh, that's true. <laughs> you, you can never do the same walk again. Uh, the book includes uh, 51 uh, different voices coming from different uh, times, uh, so from the 60s to nowadays, uh, from different cultural horizons, um, different backgrounds. It was really difficult to select them. I thought what you did was an extraordinary achievement, even to uh, contain it to that number. I mean, it's fantastic because... I'm assuming that both these books were published. You mentioned going out, but perhaps perhaps you ought to tell us what the title of the other book is as well. Yeah, Walking from Scores. Uh, so you've been researching them for, uh, as you say, eight eight years or so, and they both published in the same year, about four or five months apart. But had you sort of completed them before, you know, had you finished one five years ago and then had suddenly had to sort of update it because various things had taken place? Or did you actually manage to bring the two together at the same time? Actually, the writing phase was quite quick. I mean, uh, for going out, walking, listening and sound making, I made a lot of research. But then I think we worked together with the editorial team. So I would like to mention this book was made, uh, was published by Kuotu in Brussels and their publishing level, which is uh, Umland. And so I worked with Julia Eckhart, Caroline Profanter and Harry Andersen. And we worked for one year and a half together on the book. Writing and selection uh, and uh, phase was pretty short. Uh, so it was also because uh, I had done so much research before that then we could deal with uh, this uh, short uh, time. And for working from score, I think I finished uh, the editorial process just before starting going out. And then uh, sometimes, I mean, uh, things uh, went at the same time, but it was, uh, yeah. Uh, probably the pandemics was helpful with this. Uh, it is uh, hopeful to say it because I spent for probably the first year just refusing to produce anything and to consume anything. But after a while, the, the opportunity to work on publication was actually really helpful for me because I had the impression of working for something that would have reached the public in any case. So, yeah. Where do you think the core of these uh, walking art 
practices. Did it all begin in the States? Did it all begin in Italy? Uh, and where is it now? True that the most uh, important, not, not the most important, but the most well-known examples of walking practices related to sound and music or sound uh, listening and sound making come from the Anglo-Saxon work. Of course, as you say, as an Italian living in France, I think it was important for me to show that there is much more than uh, this. Sometimes uh, you have to deal with uh, difficulties in accessing documents or in accessing archives from uh, countries where contemporary art has not been archived yet, for example, or translating documents from different languages, uh, which are not English, which is, you know, the hegemonic languages, in both in art and uh, research in the academic world. So the challenge is to be able to, you know, point at different entries point at different history as well, which uh, are also related to different geopolitical uh, realities. And so, for example, looking how in the 60s there were all these artists that are pretty well known working uh, in New York. Now, working in New York, there was also Giuseppe Chiari working in Italy and producing a very stunning text, which uh, has first been translated into English and French in the book, Working from Scores. This project is also described in the, in the other book. And it's a text which is totally amazing. And I think because it proposes to play the city as if it was a percussion instrument or a set of percussion instruments. And the aim of this action for Chiari is very clear. It is to play out of tune. He repeated uh, in the text six times in capital letters. So the idea is to disrupt the order of public space and to find uh, areas for a sort of shared creativity, for a sort of post-musical practice that doesn't need theater and doesn't need any definition as well. It's a very important text and practice that has never been uh, considered too much. Historiography working on public space, on site-specific art or performance in public space uh, during the 60s. At the same time, there was Milan Knizak who was working in Prague under the dictatorship. So, I mean, there were artists that were working, tried to work in different geographies that have not been on the spot. Uh, can I say this? That uh, On the light spot? Or not, they, they, they've not been... Um, and they keep being there also in the following decades. I think about Collective Action Group... Uh, and their actions uh, at the beginning of the 80s in, in Russia. Willem de Rinder, who is not well known, for example, I mean, I think he was really mm, fundamental for all the practices based uh, with, on uh, Walkmans. And he was the Fluxo chairman in the Netherlands. And he started like the years after the Walkman uh, was launched into the market to make uh, a series of uh, projects based on cassette, where he led uh, the public to wander around the Netherlands or around Amsterdam, uh, and that he called the uh, audio-directed theater events. Uh, so yes, I think there are many figures. What drives you on, you personally? Because you're hugely enthusiastic about all this work. So come on then, where did it all begin for you? Walking was very important because it was uh, also 
something that led me to cross the limits of theater of theory sorry in order to enter practice because when i first started the the working from score project it was in bologna it was 2014 and i was invited by a festival there who was uh, in uh, several different venues in the city center to conceive a specialized theory action i didn't know what it meant but I was sure I, I didn't want to make a conference or a talk, which was the thing I was used to do because I came from an academic background. I, I had just finished my PhD and uh, all this stuff. So it was a little bit of, I think in Italy, there wasn't uh, this whole universe of practice-based research that is more acceptable or even uh, important in the Anglo-Saxon world. And so I was trained as a serious academic that was uh, just giving talk with a lot of footnotes. Yeah, I decided I would uh, collect uh, scores for walking and that this course would not, would not have been performed by performers or musicians, but that it would be reprint in simple R5, A5, black and white photocopies and distributed to the public as they stepped out from one venue to enter to the, the other performance. So it was a way to occupy the spaces between the spaces and time between the, the performances and also to put uh, myself on the threshold of, uh, you know, public space, the street and uh, the venue where performances were happening. But then uh, since uh, I thought I would uh, collect like 15 uh, scores, mostly by Fluxus artists. And after just one week of research, actually, I had found already more than 35 uh, scores. So I was like, wow. Uh, I mean, there are so many contemporary composers, musicians, artists that are still working with scores, working through walking. So maybe there's something to do with this. And we decided to make a workshop, but it was not a tease at the beginning because I didn't feel legitimate in uh, leading people into practice. Uh, since I had never done it. And then the workshop was totally amazing, you know, like collective work is always so empowering and there were people coming from different backgrounds so everybody could uh, arrive and, uh, you know, use this material starting from different ideas or with different practices. Yeah, so then the workshop always stayed as the core of this uh, project. But the idea of working together with different group of people in different places and also, it is where practice started to be more and more important in my work. Another thing that was fundamental for this uh, like, like passage or shift from theory to practice as theory or theory as practice was uh, feminism. Because, you know, in feminism, uh, it's, it's always also listening together, making together, acting together, uh, listening to each other, speaking to each other. This uh, connection between theory and practice uh, comes from all these and I think now finds uh, convergence in another project that I started doing uh, last year, which is Feminist Steps, uh, which is a sort of collective work for uh, women, uh, queer and uh, non-binary people uh, that I've been doing in different cities as well and which is based uh, on uh, several scores in order to reflect on gendered experiences in public space, uh, starting from listening practices and sounding practices. So the relationship between uh, visibility and invisibility, silencing and resonance, 
how we can reappropriate the public space, especially at night, with our own noise, with our own uh, voice, with our own sonic acts, uh, with our own uh, screams, uh, etc. Okay, uh, a tough one. Uh, I always ask my interviewees to suggest a couple of walks, just two out of the many hundreds you've encountered and uh, many hundreds you've probably taken yourself. So come on, uh, just a couple. Well, since we were talking about uh, feminist tap, maybe I could read one of the two scores that I've written for this project. Please do, yeah. To invite the listener to adventure in uh, feminist steps. So here we are. I will read the first one that I've written in uh, 2018. It's entitled The Resounding Flaneuse for a woman or queer person with wooden clogs walking alone in a city at night. Listen to your footsteps. How do they sound? What is their rhythm? Does being alone at night influence your way of walking? Are you walking faster? Are you trying to avoid any places? Are you trying to walk silently? Are you trying to be invisible? Walk so silently that the bottoms of your feet become ears. How does the sound of, the, of your footsteps change according to the different materials and surfaces of the environment? Gravel, asphalt, stones. How does it propagate in space? Do you feel empowered by this sound? Are you worried about its diffusion? Listen to the street on which you are walking. Is it silent? How does it feel? What are the noises that give you confidence? What are the noises that you would like to hear? What are the sounds of others? Listen to the footstep of the people walking on the street. How far are they? In which direction are they going? Is anyone approaching you? Do you feel reassured by their presence? Or do you feel afraid, threatened maybe? Is anyone looking at you or addressing you? Listen to the city as an ever-changing polyphony generated by a plurality of moving bodies. Listen to its dissonance. Amplify its difference. Walk at your own pace. Walk so loudly that the bottoms of your feet become a percussion instrument. Play the city. Dance at the rhythm of your steps. Rewrite the city with your body, with your sounds. Project your presence in space. Hum, if necessary. Sing or laugh out loud. Wear your lipstick if you like it. Smile at everyone you meet. Never try to silence yourself or go unnoticed. Be visible, be audible, vibrate, resound. Would you like to suggest another? Uh, yeah, I would like then to maybe read another protocol, which was written by uh, an Indian collective, uh, an Indian feminist collective called the Blank Noise, uh, which is entitled uh, The Step-by-Step -Step Guide to Unapologetic Walking. And it was uh, written as a sort of starting from the specificity of, uh, I mean, the manner 
in which uh, patriarchy manifests itself uh, in uh, Indian town. Uh, the member of the collective have written this protocol as a way to counteract or contradict all of the behaviors that are assumed as safe, uh, appropriate for women and um, gender minorities in public space. So the step-by-step guide to an apologetic walking is a compilation of very important things to remember while walking. We invite you to walk alone. Walk very, very slowly. Walk without your phone. Walk without your eyes fixed to the ground. Walk in the middle of the pavement. Walk with your chin a little raised. Walk without your back. Walk without your sunglasses. Walk with your shoulders leaned back. Walk looking at passersby. Walk alone. Walk alone. Walk at 5 a.m., 3 a.m., 2 p.m., noon, midnight, 8 p.m., 3 p.m. Walk humming a song. Walk whistling. Walk daydreaming. Walk smiling. Walk swimming your arms. Walk with a skip. Walk alone. Walk wearing clothes you always wanted to but could not because you thought you might be asking for it. Walk without a dupata. Walk without your arms folded. Walk without a clenched fist. Walk smiling, walk smiling, walk smiling. Blank noise, 2008. You've been listening to Talking Walking, brought to you by Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. In this episode, you've heard from Eleanor Bersener. If you have any views on this interview or any walking issues, we'd love to hear from you. Just follow the links on the Talking Walking website. We look forward to having you along for future episodes of Talking Walking. Written, recorded and produced by Andrew Stuck of Rethinking Cities Limited, our artwork is designed by Ian Martin of Artvark Graphics and the music is composed by Simon Sanders of Easytronic.